I'm happy to be here this morning. I'm sorry that Brother uh, Bartlett is not feeling well. He told me he'd had blood clots and uh, was in the hospital for a few days. I know what that is. I've had blood clots and been in the hospital about four or five different times in my life. The longest time was a little bit over two months. I was in the hospital. I had blood clots in seven areas of my lung. I lost uh, one-seventh of my lung, and uh, I didn't know whether I was going to make it or not. Now, back there in those days, they did not have the treatment that they have today. But I thank God for his grace and goodness. I'm glad that Brother Bartlett is doing better, and I just pray that he'll be back to his normal self. I pray that God will bless you all in uh, the upcoming revival and that God will have his way and, and uh, uh, bless the congregation. And as already had been said this morning, that we might be able to see some people come to know the Lord and be saved. Let us pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you, dear Lord, for the service thus far. We thank you, Father, for the singing that we heard and well, uh, we're able to uh, enjoy and also join in with in praising of Thee. And you're worthy of every bit of it and more. And we thank you, Father, for all your kindness. We do pray that you'll continue to bless the congregation and in the upcoming revival. Bless Brother and Sister Bartlett, both of them, that they will be able to feel uh, good and be able to enjoy the upcoming meeting. And we also ask that thou will guide and direct the congregation and those who come to preach and that good will be done for the kingdom of God. We thank you for the exhortation that Brother Bartlett brought this morning. And of course, dear Lord, we've been serious about these matters for a very long time now. But we ask that thou would bring an awakening, Father, to the people of God in a real way. And Father of heaven, as was said, that you'd pour out a spirit of prayer upon us, that we'd be able, Father of heaven, to pray, and because we want to pray, and because we feel the need to pray, we ask that thou will Help us now as we bring forth a few thoughts. We ask that thou will bless your word in Jesus' name. Amen. I've entitled my lesson, Providing Things Honest in the Sight of All Men. My passage that I'm going to read is in Romans, the 12th chapter, and I'm only going to read one verse, and it, it's, it has that uh, expression in it. In the context of what I'm reading this morning, the Apostle Paul very rapidly, in succession, gave several admonitions, probably 20 admonitions here, more or less, and rapidly, one after the other, one, one sentence uh, statements and admonishing the people how they ought to live and what kind of people that they ought to be. I'm only going to read one verse, but if you would read the preceding verses, he starts out by telling them that they are to present their bodies a living sacrifice. They are not 
to be conformed to the world, but transformed. And then he, uh, he tells them that they ought to uh, be in unity. And I I'm not going to go on, but you can read that. And he gives several admonitions that uh, he wanted the Roman. The Roman church, Paul had never been there personally when he wrote this. And he was giving them some admonition of how a Christian life ought to be lived. With that in mind, I'm going to read verse number 17. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. Very quickly, the first admonition of this verse is that we are not to repay anyone evil for evil. This, the source of the Apostle Paul's admonition is the teachings of Jesus because that is exactly what our Lord taught. I'll just read one passage. That's in Matthew in the 5th chapter, the 38th through the 41st verse. He said, And ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now that's a statement of justice. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And Jesus said, you've heard that it hath been said. And of course, that is uh, Old Testament passage of Scripture. But I say unto you that you resist not evil. And the word here that you resist not evil means don't oppose or fight an evil person. But whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, I want to say, to be able to understand this, this is in the context of an insult and not a life-threatening situation. He said here that if someone smite thee on the right cheek, and, and that's, that's a person taking the right hand and backhanding the other person, they would hit them on the right, the right cheek. And it's, he was talking here of an insult, a slap in the face. And he said, turn to him the other also. He's not talking about life-threatening situations. And the only reason why I mention that is because I do believe that in life-threatening situations, we have the right to self-protection. And if any man will sue thee at law and take away thy coat, let him have thy coat also. We would probably say thy, your coat and your shirt. If they sue you and take away your coat, offer him your shirt also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Or whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him two. Now, if you know the context of this, in Roman law, a Roman soldier could require a uh, citizen to carry help him carry his equipment for one mile. And that's what Jesus probably was referring to. They compel you to go a mile because of Roman law. Then just go on and go a second mile. But Jesus was teaching not to repay anyone evil for evil. And that's what Paul was admonishing the church. That was one of his admonitions. The second one is where I want to spend time this morning. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. In this particular verse, the word honest here 
means honorable. Uh, in fact, if you read it in almost any modern translations, it will say honorable and, or honor instead of honest. But it means honorable, and honorable is something that is worthy of honor. You take the word honor, uh, it's a word that expresses respect. Honor thy father and mother, that thy days may be long on the earth. That's respecting your father and mother. And so he is talking about honor here and being honorable. Christians should strive, my friend, to do what is considered honorable by people, by all people. In fact, he said, provide things honest in the sight of all men. The word translated provide here, and again, if you look in a more modern translation, it'll say taking thought. And the word here in the original language means taking thought in advance. Provide things honest in the sight. Of, and what he means is that we are to think about honor before we say or do something. And uh, to take some forethought and think about it in advance. And this simply means to be careful to do what is right in the eyes of others. You know, we live before... A watching world is often said, and we, my friend, need to provide things that are right in the eyes of others. Let me just stop here long enough to say this. We are not only to do and to be right, but we are to look right. It's more, it, it, it's beyond just doing and being right. It's looking right. It's in the sight of all men. It's in the sight of other people. That simply means, my friend, that whatever we do needs to look right. I remember years ago, uh, a pastor called me to come to a revival. And uh, while I was on the phone and uh, we were discussing my going to preach in a revival, I asked him what were the accommodations uh, that when I got there, who was, who was I going to stay with, and what are the accommodations? Well, he told me that I was going to not stay in his home, the pastor's, but there were other young preachers in the congregation, and I was going to be staying with one of those younger preachers and his family. And he said, but he said, Brother Yoder, there's two days that that young preacher has to go to work. And, uh, and, uh, but the other days he'll be there. But there'll be two days that you and his wife would be alone. And he said, is that acceptable to you? And I said, no. I said, that's not acceptable to me. I said, it isn't a matter of whether I would remain faithful or she would remain faithful. And that's not, I said to him, I said, I don't only want to be right, I want to look right. I want when people look at the situation that there's in their sight, my friend, that it's a right thing to do. And I told him that. I told him that I not only wanted to be right, but I also wanted it to look right. And 
he made arrangements so that that never occurred. Paul is stressing here, my friend, that Christians are to provide two things by a visible example. In their visible contact, first of all, they're to be a physical example of contrast with the unsaved in our behavior. People need to see, not they can't look into our hearts. You know, our heart is different than those that are unsaved and unbelieving. We have a holy heart and they have a sinful heart. We have a, we have a, a heart that is set on pleasing God and doing what God would have us to do. And they have a heart that's set on doing what pleases them and what they enjoy doing. And, but nobody can see that. Nobody sees that except God, of course. But we need a visible example of contrast. And by contrast, I mean a difference between who's saved and who's unsaved. In fact, when I'm preaching on being the light of the world, I tell people that the only light we have is being different from the world. It's, it's not a light to them if we're doing the same thing they're doing. I, I mean, it's the difference. It's the contrast. It's how we act differently and, and how we live differently that is the light for them. It shows them if it's, if it's just a common morality, so to speak, which is becoming more rare than it used to be, but I hope you understand that by our, by our conduct, our visible conduct, we are to be an example of contrast. And second of all, Christians are to be an honorable witness for Christ. We are to honor the Lord by the way we live. And by honor, I mean our life needs to be worthy of honor. Honorable means worthy of honor, and, and honor means worthy of respect. And that simply means, my friend, that our conduct ought to earn the respect of others, the respect of those. In fact, I'm going to tell you something. If you live an honorable life, you can have the respect of people who disagree with you. They may not agree that, uh, and they may not want to live like you do, but, my friend, they will respect you. You know, they will have a respect for you. I've seen that when I uh, worked in the factory and on the job in various, uh, various jobs and various things. As Christians, you and I are living out our life before a watching world. I mean, people are watching us that we don't even know anything about. I mean, uh, because we're just going and doing our thing. I remember one time I was working, I was working in a, in a grocery warehouse. But anyway, we would go into the office and, uh, and stand there while the, 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 the people in there were writing up an order, and then we'd take the order and go out in the warehouse and fill it. And, and I was standing in the office, and, 
And uh, one, of the, one of the fellows that writes up the order said, oh, said, we had a fellow in here this morning, called him by name, said he told a joke, said it was, it was so terrible that, uh, that, and he mentioned another fellow that worked there, said he, he almost left like Kenny does all the time. And it, it dawned on me that when they started telling their jokes, I just stepped outside. I just left. I'd go outside, and we had a, we had a, a two-way uh, system that they could call me when they needed me. And I'd just go out there and stand by it instead of standing in the office waiting for an order. I'd go out there. And I, I never thought anybody paid any attention to that. But they were. They, they, they noticed that every time somebody started telling a, a dirty joke, that I left, that I, I, I would just go outside. I wouldn't stay there and listen because I'm going to tell you something. You listen to all that kind of stuff. Uh, when you can escape it, you ought to. There's times that you can't. There's times I know that the situation, you can't. But the reason why you ought to not listen to it is because once you hear it, it's in your brain forever. You know, I mean, it's there. You may forget it, but it's still there somewhere. And, but my point is this. I, I came to the realization that they were watching everything I'd done. I mean, little things, things that I paid no attention to at all. They were watching that. And friend, I'm going to tell you, people in your family, people, your neighbors, people, my friend you work with, they are watching you, and they are, they are making judgment concerning the God that you serve by your conduct, by what they see, by what they see. And as I said, they cannot see your heart, so the only thing they have, of course, is your visible conduct. You and I as Christians ought to shine as lights in the midst of a wicked and perverse world. Uh, as Brother Bartlett mentioned this morning, he was talking more along the political line, but not only politically, but morally, my friend, our country is, is in deep, deep trouble. I mean, if you know anything about history, uh, we're on the path that leads to collapse. We're on the path, my friend, that it, 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 it cannot hold its own weight. It's just going to collapse. And uh, that's another thing. But you and I, in a dark world, shine as lights. You say, well, I'm, a, I'm insignificant and I don't amount to anything. My light doesn't really mean anything. Well, I had, a, I had an experience one time that proved to me that even a small light can have a real impact. One time I took my family and we went to Mammoth Cave in Kentucky. And when we got down in the, uh, in the depth of that cave, the guide that was leading the, uh, the tour said, find firm, fit, uh, firm standing, said, make sure you're standing 
you know, and got your feet apart and you're, you're standing firmly and said, because I'm going to turn out the lights. And, uh, and so he waited a few seconds and then said, okay, you ready? And they turned out the lights. And I mean to tell you, it was, it was dark. I mean, I took my hand and rubbed my nose and I couldn't see nothing. I mean, it was, you just couldn't see anything. It just total dark. And then she took a match, a single match, and struck that match and held it up. And the light from, and that, that cavern room was as big as this, as big as this auditorium is. And that one match, I, I seen the walls of that cavern. That one match, because it was so dark. And my friend, somebody said, my light doesn't count for much. Yes, it does. My friend, the darker the, the world gets, then the brighter we shine. The contrast of your life with those around you is shining. Believe me, you may not know it. You may not be paying any attention to it, but my friend, a watching world, I say again, is in Philippians, the second chapter in the 15th verse, that ye may be blameless and harmless, sons of God, without rebuke. And that expression, without rebuke, means you don't have anything in you that they can find fault with or shame you for. In the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, and ours, as I've already said, is twisted and warped by sin, among whom you shine as lights in the world. He's telling us here, my friend, that we're to live a blameless life and harmless, without rebuke, bringing no shame in the midst of a crooked and perverse. That's where we're to live our life. In the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. And I said all that to just help us understand, my friend, that you, how you and I, our visible conduct, our words that people can hear, count more for a witness than what you have in your heart. What you have in your heart, of course, is the source of the outward, but nobody can see that. Nobody can see that. I mean, uh, the only thing we got to go on in our confidence in one another is what we hear and what we see in our conduct. I want to bring a few thoughts on what the word honest or honorable implies. First of all, it's behavior that is marked by a display of integrity, deserving of respect. It's behavior that, that has a stamp of integrity on it or purity, and it is deserving of respect. Being honest means, of course, first of all, being characterized by the truth. We're not deceptive. And in the biblical terms, 
There's no guile in us. I looked that word guile up yesterday as I was studying for this lesson, and, and guile was defined as treacherously cunning, skillful in deceiving, a convincing liar. We're to be characterized by truth. What we say ought to be truthful. It ought to be factual. Amen? At least it ought to be uh, facts that we honestly believe. It's not deceptive. It's not something, my friend, that is cunning and skillful and deceiving. Uh, have you ever seen a convincing liar? I one time worked with a fellow. They called him the body of truth. And they said the reason why they called him the body of truth was because if there was any truth in him, it was still in him. <laughs> but he was the most convincing liar. I, I, at that time, I was, I was young. I was uh, 18, 19 uh, years old, and I worked with him, and he was a practical joker, and he pulled all kinds. I was a gullible person. You know, if you're an honest person, you have a tendency to believe others. You know? And I believed him. I'm not going to take time, but I could. He got me into all kinds of fixes, and he would laugh and laugh and, but he was a convincing liar. There was even times when I said, I, I'm not, I, I was suspicious, but he was so convincing that, that he got me to believing. That's guile. That's treacherously cunning. Skillful. Skillful, my friend, in deceiving. That describes the devil, of course. But there's some people got the devil in them. You know what I mean? And, and one of the ways is they're characterized by deception and cunning, skillful lying. First Peter, third chapter, 10th verse. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Honest, honest speech means being sincere, being frank, not being abusive, uh, frankly honest, you know, but it's being sincere, it's being genuine. It, it's, it's talking without pretense. You ain't, you ain't trying to fool nobody. You're not, you're not just pretending, you're not misleading, you're not leading people on, but you're actually being genuine with them without any pretense. And the next thing I want to mention is that being living an honorable life means not being deceitful in our dealings with others, but equitable and fair. When we're dealing with someone else, the Bible says, love thy neighbor as thyself. And that means that when we're in a deal with somebody, we want him 
to get as good a bargain as we do. Well, no amens, but that's what it means. It means that, that you are interested in his welfare as much as you are yours. That means that when you're going to buy something from someone, you don't take advantage of their ignorance of the value of what you're trying to buy. There's some people that own things they don't know that they're valuable. But you happen to be knowledgeable and know that they're valuable. And if you take advantage of their ignorance and buy it for half of what it's worth, you do not love your neighbor as yourself. You are not putting his welfare on equal value to yours. You're putting yourself above that. I know that sometimes people think that, that being deceitful in their dealings, that they get a good bargain, but you lose your witness. How much is your, how much is your witness worth to you? How much is your good name worth to you? What would you sell it for? What's the price? I'm going to mention some. There was one time I was, uh, I was moving from one area to another, uh, maybe 10-mile move. But anyway, I went to a farmer, and this farmer had a, fat, a flat-bedded truck, and uh, it was a two-and-a-half-ton truck, which is a pretty good-sized truck, and I asked him to help move me, and he and his son did. They, we put our, our stuff, what we owned on the truck, and moved it to the other a house where we were moving to. And when I asked him, I said, I said, uh, how much do I owe you? And he told me, and I told him, that's not enough. That's not enough. I gave the man more money than he asked for for the job that he'd done for me because I thought it was worth more. And if I remember right, he asked for $25, and I gave him 40 Now, to understand, keep this amount in context, I worked at a minimum wage job at that time, $1 an hour, and $40 was a week's salary. So $40 was not just a trifling. Today, with inflation, $40 at least some people make $40 an hour. You know what I mean? But I, I gave him more than what he asked. And I told him, I said, because it's worth more. Now, my children tell me, or some of them have said to me, Dad, <coughs> you're honest to a fault. Well, that could be true, but I sleep well. And I can pray well because I have a clear conscience. Honorable conduct earns a person 
respect. Honorable conduct, my friend, uh, by respect I mean a good reputation. Being honorable brings distinction and recognition by others. You remember Joseph in the Bible? He lived an honorable life. And it brought him distinction. Uh, the, the man that bought him as a slave saw that he had something that none of his other labors had. And that was that God was with him. He recognized him. And even after that uh, fellow that had bought him as a slave, even after his wife lied on Joseph and, and he wound up in prison, the, 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 the jailer recognized something in him. Honorable conduct gains recognition. And he put Joseph in charge. <clears throat> of some of the other prisoners. Excuse me just a minute. A good name and a good reputation is more desirable than wealth. I know you may have your heart set on making as much money as you possibly can, but I'm telling you that a good name and a good reputation, my friend, is worth more than money or wealth. Proverbs in the 22nd chapter in the first verse said, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor. And the word loving favor here means esteem or respect. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor, esteem or respect rather than silver and gold. A good reputation, my friend, is of great value. You know, it, it's it, and not only in the world to come, but in the world in which we live. If you have a good reputation, people will trust you. People, my friend, will 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 depend on you if if you have a good name and a good. Uh, when I was a boy on the farm in Kentucky. Uh, uh, we would work as a farmhand for neighboring farmers. We'd go out and work, and uh, uh, and I think we made 75 cents an hour, something like that. But anyway, we would go out and work. And I always done the best job that I possibly could. And me and my brother worked together, and and we got a reputation of being hard workers in the neighborhood. The reputation, them, them two Yoder boys, they work hard, and you'll get, you'll get your money's worth out of them. And I'm going to tell you, I had work when some other men in our neighborhood could not find work. And the only thing that got that was a reputation, a good name. I'm telling you, my friend, a good, good reputation is of great value. I ask you the question again, how much is your name worth to you? What's your name worth to you? When somebody calls out your name, 
Does it inspire confidence? Does it inspire conviction and respect? It ought to. Amen? Being totally honest, my friend, may at times bring embarrassment, you know? Uh, at times, there's times that being totally honest, uh, I, I had to own up to the fact that I had, I had uh, made a mistake, done something that cost the company that I worked for, it cost them money, or, or somebody else. And it's embarrassing to be totally honest. At times, it can be. It can also, my friend, cause you loss and even suffering, physical suffering. But I'd still rather, my friend, be totally honest and live with a clear conscience. I remember one time uh, this, I'm all the time <clears throat> trying to do things to help people, and sometimes that gets me in trouble, okay? Well, I was staying with this preacher, and he happened to have a swimming pool, and this was in the fall. It was a fall revival. And they put a, they drained that swimming pool, and it was a permanent swimming pool, concrete and tile and all that. But anyway, they had drained it, and they put a, they put a uh, tarp over the top of it to keep the leaves out, and when the wind winter come, you know, to protect their swimming pool. Well, it had rained, and that tarp uh, in the middle of it was a great big pool of water. And, and I, I thought, boy, if it gets more water, it's going to break that tarp, so I'm going to help him. So I went, and I've, I found a hose. Both uh, the preacher and his wife both worked, so I was home alone. And I got a hose, and I put it in that, and I sucked on it. I got it, I got it to siphon out, you know. And I laid it on the ground, and, and I was draining that water off. And uh, sometime after that, an hour or so, I heard somebody holler, Who done that? You know, I thought, what is all that? You know. And uh, so I went outside and said, said, Who put that hose on there? It was one of his older sons of this man I was staying with. And I said, I did. <laughs> I done that. He said, don't you know that water's on there to hold that tarp down so that the wind won't flop it? And no, I didn't know that. And it was, it was embarrassing to me because it was a mistake, but it was a mistake of love. I was just trying to help. I'm telling you, being totally honest and owning up to things, and I could give you other illustrations, but I, I won't go any farther. But it can bring you. There's times when I have had to argue with others over doctrinal issues. Uh, those of you that know some of the past history uh, know that I was disfellowshipped and put on trial. And at some of those trials, uh, they, they asked some very, very, very hard questions. And I answered them. I remember before going to those trials, 
I knew enough about the issue that we were dealing with that I could use double talk, say things, and, and my meaning to words was one way and their meaning was another, and, and I could have tried to smooth it over. But I decided not to. I decided to hit it head on, to be genuine, to be totally frank, to speak from my heart without pretense. And I did. And even though I did not convince them I was right, I still gained their respect by being totally honest. They disfellowshipped me. But I walked away from there very troubled and saddened, but I still had a clear conscience. Now, I don't know whether you're understanding what I'm saying here this morning, but to live with honor and to live honorably, my friend, means to live in such a way that we gain the respect of others. Sometimes I feel like I'm living among a lying people, kind of like Isaiah, you know. Isaiah in the sixth chapter, in the first part of the fifth verse, he said, And then said I, Woe is me, for I'm undone. Excuse me. Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Isaiah, in the context here, had just gotten a vision of the throne of God. And the thing that, that he was, the thing that impressed him was the holiness of God. And he's seen these angels around the throne crying, Holy! Holy, holy, Lord God Almighty. And that vision of holiness convicted him. You know, I was reading yesterday in some of the comments, but over 800 times in the Old Testament, well, old and the new, but over 800 times it tells us that God is holy. God is holy. And he said to us, be ye holy, for I am holy. Isaiah, in that vision, he saw his own sinfulness in the, in the glaring light of God's holiness. It exposed his heart, and he saw himself undone. And that simply means not what he ought to be. And he said, I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And I, I was thinking about that as I was meditating on that scripture. Why unclean lips? Why not say unclean hearts, you know? Unclean hearts. Well, possibly it could be because of what Jesus taught Matthew, the 12th chapter and 34th verse, he said, O generation of vipers, 
How can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. And then in the 37th verse of that same 12th chapter of Matthew, he said, For by thy words thou shalt be justified. That means acquitted. And by thy words thou shalt be condemned. The reason, my friend, the final judgment could be entirely based upon your words. It isn't. But the final judgment could be entirely based upon the words that you've spoken. Someone said, why is that true? Because the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Often I ask myself, as I said, I feel like Isaiah. I live among a, a people of unclean lips, lying. <laughs> I, I often ask myself, who can you trust to speak the truth from the heart? You know? I think you already know this, but I'm just going to mention it. There are few honorable people in our day and time. There are very few honorable people in government today. <laughs> I mean, it, it's hard to believe what they say. <laughs> hard to believe what they say. People in our government, people in our health care system, look how they misled us during this COVID thing. It's come out now, but man, it's too late. It's too late for all those school children that are now a year behind in their education. It's too late for those people that lost their businesses because of closure. But who speaks the truth in the public media? Man, I'll tell you what, it's made me very suspicious of, of, of the things that I hear. Now, I don't spend a whole lot of time listening to the news. I do, I do try to keep up. I mainly just, I go online, I read headlines. Brother Bartlett, last time I was here, or maybe the next to last time, he asked me, he said, he said, did you hear what uh, Schuler said? And he, he's the Senate leader. Did you hear what he said the other day? And said, I listened to him, watched him on television, he watched him and heard and said, it really troubled me and made me angry. And I said, no, I didn't hear it and I didn't see it, but I don't have a television. I don't own one. No amen, but that's okay. I'm telling you, I even, I even quit taking a daily newspaper because all that stuff that was reading, it was affecting me. It was affecting, it affected my attitude. It was affecting my friend, how I was thinking. Well, I'll let that go. But there's, it's hard to believe what is said in the public media, even social media. Uh, even, even even good church people sometimes will post things 
that they've seen or heard uh, that are not factual. Now, they don't know they're not factual, but who can you trust? Facebook, you know, they come out, the, the fellow that founded that said just the other day that, yes, they did try to influence the last election. I mean, we know it was true, but now they have admitted it. Our schools, our leaders, our school boards, all across our land and country, there are parents that are protesting what the school board, and they're trying to keep it hid. But even in our churches, there are people out there in the name of Christ that are saying things and doing things, my friend, that are not true. And I say again that sometimes I feel like I'm living in a world of liars, you know? Uh, I don't know whether you understand what I'm saying. I'm just using it as, a, as Isaiah did. I feel like I'm living among a people of unclean lips. I remember years ago, I was at a minister's meeting, and uh, there were two brothers. Uh, they, they pastored a neighboring congregation, Church of God, but they pastored neighbor congregations, and they had gotten into some deep difficulties. Some people left one, went to the other, and so on. And anyway, the minister meeting was called, and then those two brethren, uh, it was called to try to help them settle their differences. And we started early in the morning, and... And we went, I think, from 8 o'clock to about 11. And finally, I got up and I said to them, we're not getting anywhere because you two brethren are afraid to be totally honest. I said, you are not being honest. I said, when the other person says something, you're afraid to be totally honest and to admit to the truth because you think that the other person is going to use that against you. And I said, unless you're totally honest, we ain't going to get nowhere. You can't settle any difference unless you're totally honest. And then a short time after that, they dismissed to go to, to eat and then come back. During the intervening time when we went to lunch, one of those brethren came to me and said, Brother Yoder, said, were you sincere in what you said? I said, absolutely. I said, you know. I told him to his face. I said, you know you're not being totally honest. And I said, you're afraid that if you're totally honest that the other brother's going to use that against you And, for lack of a better term, win. And when we come back to the meeting, he started out and made a confession. And he 
begin to be totally honest, and it changed it, the meeting, the people in the meeting from the two congregations. They broke down. They was crying. They was hugging one another. Listen to me. We ain't going to get nowhere as long as we're pretending. As long as we're playing games. I don't know whether you're getting what I'm saying, but I'm trying to help you. I challenge you this morning to be one of the few honorable people in the world today. I think there was a philosopher, I forget who it was, an ancient philosopher, uh, and I'm speaking from memory and I could be wrong, but an ancient philosopher said that he had searched during his lifetime to find one honest man and could not. If that philosopher had come to you, would he have found an honest person? Would he have found an honorable person? One that in their speech and in their conduct earns respect. Be a person who has earned respect of others by your integrity. Some of the things I said rest heavy on you. I know that. I can feel it. But it's true, friend. What I've said to you this morning is true. Our witness to a lost world is of tremendous value. The pastor can preach and preach the truth and preach uh, biblical uh, messages, but if the congregation does not back that up, with the lives that they live. It's kind of like a lawyer. If he's in a courtroom and a lawyer was arguing a case and trying to prove his point and he called a witness to the witness stand and that witness contradicted what he said, he'd lose his case. And the preacher would lose his case of trying to convince men and women that they need a changed life if you and I as witnesses contradict that. If we contradict it by how we live, and I mean the people who know us best, our family, our friends, our neighbors, associates in business, people we work with, I'm through. Father, I've brought what was on my heart, and I pray that you'll take the words that I've said, and dear God, that you'll use them for good. My intention was, Father, to challenge these people, dear Lord, as a congregation, and, and as individuals as well as a whole, 
to be honorable people, to be people that are honest, to be people that you can trust what they say and you can see it in how they live. Bless, I pray, and I'll give you the praise for what's accomplished. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we sing this verse?